This week's story is supported by you. Like most nonprofits, we're primarily supported by donations. It doesn't take much to make a difference. Just $5 a month, which is about $1 per podcast, can be huge. If you love the stories you hear on the Story Collider, head to storycollider.org donate. And if you're already a donor, thank you so much. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Kia Salehi. It was recorded in March 2016 at AS220 in Providence, Rhode Island, as part of Brain Week, Rhode Island. In college, I studied neuroscience because I think that the brain is the most complex, miraculous, and poorly understood piece of matter in the universe or at least the known universe. And in class, I learned about the phenomenon of neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to change as a result of experience. It means that what we practice becomes stronger. So I knew about the concept in the abstract, but my personal experiences had taught me that this was much more easily said than done. And that's because I had OCD from as early as I can remember until I left for college. And in college, as a freshman, my anxiety turned to focus on my weight, and eventually it blossomed into a full-blown eating disorder. So at 23 years old, my outlook on the world was basically that no matter how irrational I knew those disordered behaviors to be, I would never be able to change them because they were so ingrained. I didn't think that my brain was capable of changing that drastically, no matter what I'd learned in class. I felt like I had always been following these rules that I knew were irrational, but I couldn't ignore. So first with the OCD, it was things like only step on the right side of that carpet or hold your breath under the archways in the house. And then later with the eating disorder, it became things like uh, don't eat more than 600 calories today or sometimes even don't eat anything at all today because yesterday you ate everything in sight. Uh, So my eating disorder started as an attempt to lose weight after years of being made to feel uncomfortable in my body. The goal was to look great for a visit from my friends from out of town at the end of the semester. So as soon as they left, I felt like I could finally eat all of this food that I had been denying myself for months. Uh, So I did, all at once. And afterward, I felt disgusted with myself. And I went back to restricting as a way to sort of make up for it. So those cycles became more and more extreme until eventually I was essentially binging one day and then fasting the next. And it was just my luck. The Wellesley dining halls are all you can eat. So it was a particularly easy trap to fall into. I wasn't paying for any of the food I was eating. Um, And so the cycles um, became sort of self-perpetuating, where I was binging, and that was causing the restricting. The restricting made me want to binge, and I didn't have a way of telling which one was really causing the other. Now, at first, it was really rewarding, because I was thinner than I ever was, and I also felt like I had these periods of really strict control over my weight that I had never had before, and that felt powerful. But eventually, I just became miserable, because the disordered behaviors felt like more of an obligation than a choice, and I felt like it was interfering with my life in all kinds of ways that I hadn't anticipated. I would avoid having meals with friends because I would usually rather be either skipping that meal entirely or having some private feast on my own, 
And some days I hated the way I looked so much that I would avoid any kind of social interaction. And I would often say to myself, you know, Kia, every time you eat too much or you skip a meal or you go for a six mile run at 11 p.m., you're making a conscious choice. And so if it's conscious, there's gotta be some alternative that you're capable of choosing instead. Um, but I found that after practicing these behaviors for so long, deciding to actually go ahead and eat something the day after a binge was not really a choice at all for me. I was so afraid of the disastrous possibility of gaining some weight and not making up for it immediately or gaining a noticeable amount of weight that you might as well have asked me to jump off a cliff and promise that someone would catch me at the bottom. And I'm afraid of heights, by the way. Some of you might do that, but not me. Um, you know, the jump feels like a conscious choice, right? You can't jump on accident, but your ingrained patterns of thinking and a sort of survival instinct kicks in and it says, oh, hell no, we're not going anywhere near that and makes it pretty impossible to do it. And in the same way, I felt like compelled to continue the disordered behaviors. And I learned the hard way over and over again that I wasn't actually in control of the disorder, but that it was the other way around. So I knew that I would need some outside help, but I also knew that that would likely mean gaining weight, at least in the short term, um, because I was thinner than I would have been otherwise, even though I was binging, I was also restricting. Um, and I eventually, I eventually sought help because I lost the motivation to restrict. And at the time, um, it actually might have been a good sign, but I was horrified and disgusted with myself because now I was only binging and not only was there sort of no uh, justification in my twisted point of view because I wasn't restricting my food intake and I didn't feel like I was starving, but I also felt like the disorder suddenly seemed a lot uglier because the only part of it that was left was the part that I was ashamed of. So I began to see a therapist who had me start practicing meditation as part of my treatment. It's not what you'd typically imagine a meditation session to be. Uh, there were no lotus poses or gongs or cushions going on. Uh, it was just me at my kitchen counter trying to identify what was going on when I felt like I wanted to eat my entire pantry. So I would usually check in with myself physically and emotionally. I'd close my eyes for a few minutes, focus on my breathing, focus on my physical sensations, and then afterward I would take a few notes and I would try to explicitly rate my hunger on a scale from one to five. So at first I found this practice maddening because it was the only thing between me and all the food that I was waiting to eat. And I didn't like that it made me focus on things that I was trying to ignore, like the fact that I was actually already pretty full and that this desire for food was a trap and an illusion. Um, but eventually, well, so, and after all of that unpleasantness that I was going through, I inevitably ended up doing what I was going to do anyway. So it felt like meditating beforehand was a pointless exercise. Um, but it turned out that the meditation was doing something much more subtle than I had realized. And over a number of months, uh, so slowly that I really only realized it in retrospect, I began to react differently to that initial thought of wanting to eat the pantry. The thought still arose, but instead of immediately finding it incredibly appealing, I would get this sort of yuck message from my stomach that I hadn't been hearing before. And I'm pretty sure it was there all along, but I had weakened it over a long time of practicing the disordered behaviors and strengthened another message that said, I'm starving, so food is good all the time. And the, I think that that second thought process had lingered even after I had stopped restricting because it was so strongly ingrained. And I think that the meditation and focusing on my uh, body when I was thinking about eating something 
allowed me to sort of intervene and disrupt that unhealthy thought process of food and eat everything now. And uh, in doing so, it chipped away at the mentality surrounding the disorder ever so slightly every time. So when I realized that meditation had allowed me to um, train my brain to check in with my body before eating, I was amazed that this really simple process, really obvious thing to do, just how am I feeling, was able to train my brain back to a healthy pattern of thinking and allow this normal process of associating food with hunger to take over again. And it, wasn't a, it was pretty slow, but it really wasn't all that subtle by the end. You know, it really changed my outlook on food completely and uh, felt like I got my mind back because all of those disordered thoughts weren't crowding in anymore. So neuroplasticity was at work when the disordered behaviors I was practicing became stronger and more ingrained until I couldn't break out of them. But meditation allowed me to use neuroplasticity to train my brain back to a healthy pattern of thinking by practicing what that pattern would look like over and over again until it became rote. So in that way, meditation has taught me that my brain can change drastically even for the better. And that gives me a lot of hope for the challenges I may face in the future and for others who may feel kind of trapped in their own heads as well. Thank you. That was Kia Salehi. Kia is a recent graduate of Wellesley College, where she majored in neuroscience and mathematics. For the past six months, she has been traveling and working on organic farms in New Zealand with her girlfriend. She recently returned to the U.S. and is pausing in Providence to reunite with her cats and friends before moving to San Francisco to work in the tech industry. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. It is love from Brooke Williams, Lana Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to AS220 for hosting the show, to Brain Week Rhode Island for being amazing partners, and to Balloons for going up. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.